Hey everyone, I'm Heath Haynes. I'm one of the elders here at The Bridge. Uh, grateful to be with you once again for this week's teaching. Uh, there is some tree clearing going on outside my office, so I hope uh, the noise is not too distracting, so just bear with us. Um, but before we go any further, just let me go ahead and pray, all right? Now pray with me. God, I just want to come before you now. We're just uh, praising you. Lord, you are worthy and you are good. I thank you that you meet us where we are. I thank you for uh, just these moments uh, that we could come to you in your word, um, knowing that it is not just a book, knowing that it's not just instruction, uh, but it is the very word from your heart to ours, the very truth that tells us uh, who you are, Lord, who we are. Lord, who we've been made to be in Christ, and Lord, uh, how you have formed us in the church, Lord, for your purpose and glory. God, I just want to surrender this time. I want to pray for each person that's listening to this uh, when they are. Lord, I pray that uh, hearts, minds, lives will be open, Lord, whether they are, whether it is someone who has been walking with you uh, for a long time, someone who is just uh, curious and, and or searching or seeking. Um, Lord, I know that uh, you love us all as you created us all. Lord, that you want to meet us where we are, and Lord, invite us into what is good and true. So, Lord, we just I pray for humility, as well as a, a hunger in this time, Lord, to to receive from you. Um, so, Lord, we just want to surrender this time. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, as we come into uh, this week's text, we've been teaching through Philippians uh, throughout the uh, spring, and um, and it's been a wonderful journey. I just have spent some time this week reflecting on Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And um, just I know I've said this so many times throughout, uh, throughout Philippians, but I, I just once again struck by Paul's laser focus on two things, right? Uh, I've been so inspired by Paul's deep love for people, and specifically this this church, this fellowship, this family uh, in Philippi, and how this deep love for them was so intertwined with his deep concern, his deep conviction for the work of the gospel of Jesus to progress. You know, just again, just reflecting on on how that concern is holistic. It's not just evangelism, it certainly is, but it's the internal work of the gospel in each of our lives. It's the unifying work of the gospel in the church, and it's the progressing work of the gospel to, to pierce the darkness with the light of Jesus so that the world would know the redeeming work of God in Christ. And, and just been so inspired by it, been humbled by it. And that's where the inspiration comes from, is that I... I I, I see a life that uh, we as the church uh, struggle to experience um, and I and I and I find it beautiful and I see and I we've tasted and seen pieces of it and, and at times uh, this this fully but but we as a church we tend to swing and I, when I say a church yes it's us but I really see this in all of the people of God we tend to swing to one side or the other right we, we tend to either Kind of focus all on mission at their disregard uh, for the people of, of the community of God or we tend to focus on internal care and, and have a hard time having time left for engaging the world for Christ and, and make no mistake the, the gospel mission consumes all of this it is the internal work 
as well as the external work. But 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 we see this difficulty for us, and so that's why I'm inspired by this because Paul just so naturally and completely intertwines them. And and as I was reflecting on this, it certainly is once again current to to our life right now. Um, you know, the need for us as the church, as a church called together for this time and this place to love one another and to pursue um, and to pursue unity is more challenging than ever uh, with us being so separated. And so it's a need. It takes intentionality. And, you know, we've been in this life of kind of virtual, virtual fellowship for a couple of months now. And I know that at the beginning of it, there was this shock and there was this mourning of, of missing that. But if we're honest, I bet some of us would say this is starting to get normal. We don't quite feel that pull back toward one another. So again, this is such a current opportunity and need for us to remain intentional, to pursue uh, the fellowship of the people of God, to pursue unity. And then just thinking about the other side of this, you know, the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus has been discarded more and more by culture before the pandemic. And you know, and, and now what we see that in the midst of these realities that the pandemic has brought, we see um, listening ears and searching hearts um, all around us. And so again, the need for progressing the gospel, the opportunity for, pro- for progressing the gospel is greater now more than ever. So this is certainly current. So I'm so grateful that God in his providence brought us to Paul's letter to the church in Philippi during this time. It's certainly timely. And so for our text today, the big idea is this, and and this is everything. It is that the key to everything, everything, right? Like fill in the blank, the key to everything that we long for, that we need, that we desire, that we want, the key to everything is trusting that God will supply our every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The key to everything is trusting that God will supply our every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's that's it. That's the summation of Philippians. That's where we're going to come to today. And so as we come into this last passage, again, this is this is kind of Paul's final wrap-up, and he, and, he, and he once again, just as it started so personal, he's ending so personal, and yet also just getting that one last opportunity to remind them of what is important. So let's read our text in full, Philippians 4, 10 through, 20, 10 through 23. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length, excuse me, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. 
And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with you, with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Man. So Paul starts out with this personal reflection of his gratitude for the church in Philippi. And if you notice, again, we've talked about this throughout, like Paul was obviously feeling the need. He's in, he's in prison. He's feeling the stress of possibly facing death. He's feeling the loneliness. And, and there was obviously a time of wrestling through this. And what we're reading in Philippians is the outcome of, of, of a life well wrestled with God. And then also the encouragement that came from the body of Christ and the church in Philippi sending him support, both physical and emotional and spiritual through Epaphroditus. And so he's reflecting on that. And we see that it took a while, right? He said, he said in verse 1, he said, uh, at length, now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. And so we see that he's, he's talking about the, the, the encouragement that he received. He's also acknowledging that it uh, took time. Uh, and he speaks this word of grace of, of saying, but I know you did it as soon as you could, as soon as you could. And so Paul, being pastoral, being a friend, he also knows the difficulty that, um, that we were just talking about how we have a hard time um, feeling like we are doing enough. We, we, we tend to have guilt over whether we're caring for each other enough or whether we're reaching the lost enough or whatever it may be. He knows, he knows human nature and he knows the schemes of the devil that he wants to speak in lies to distract and to, to diminish our confidence and our, and our conscience. And so he knows uh, how we tend to have that burden conscience when we think about what we're capable of doing. And again, so he just says, I'm grateful for your care. I know that you did it as soon as you could. Um, so in grace, he wants to make it really clear what they're responsible for and what they're not responsible for. And that's why he continues to say, I'm grateful for it, but, but my, but my well being is not on your shoulders. That's why he continues with verses 11 through 13. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And what we see here is that contentment comes from Christ. And so Paul just wants to make it really clear. Yes, you have served me well. And yes, I'm grateful. But guess what? My contentment is not contingent on you. It is on Jesus. And that is a word of kindness that Paul has for them. And there's this matter of factness to how Paul states it, right? He said, he says, I, I am to be content. I can be content. And it's just this matter of fact reality. And so I just want to real quickly think about how, why, why is it so matter of fact that Paul is to be content, that he can be content no matter what. So I want to work through uh, three reasons, three ways in which we can be content that Christ delivers our contentment. And so first we see that we have reason to be content. I have reason to be content. Paul says, I know how. How does he know? He knows how because of what Jesus has done in him. He knows how because Jesus has showed him the way and instructed his heart. What we see in this is that because of what Christ has done, our contentment comes from him, not in our physical means and circumstances. 
It doesn't mean that physical needs don't matter. Again, we see Paul's relief in their provision. We see Paul's encouragement by them showing up. The tangible needs for our life are one of the central ways in which God exhibits his grace and we experience the realities of Jesus. And it's not that when he loves us, he gives us stuff. It's that every good and perfect gift comes from from above and all that God does is good and God provides for all things. So when we have, what we see here is in the abundance, Paul saying, I've learned uh, to, to have and to have not. What we see here is all that God gives, all that we've been provided, all that we experience is an opportunity, a pathway to respond to the goodness of God. Because when we have, when we are in abundance, we are to be humbled and grateful and realize that none of it is our source of security or happiness. To see once again that yes, we have this this plenty, but yet it doesn't satisfy. Only the work of Christ that God has accomplished does. And when we are lacking, when we're lacking, we're to take advantage of what has been stripped away, right, our present reality, in order to experience the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, right? So that is where we have reason to be content because it's not, it's not about whether we have or have not. It's about what we have in Christ. Our contentment is grounded in the reality of our worth being defined by the cost of Christ and our purpose being rooted in the cause of Christ. I want to say that again. Our contentment, this is the key, our contentment is grounded in the reality of our worth being defined by the cost of Christ paid for us, and our purpose being rooted in the cause of Christ given to us. And that's where 2 Corinthians 12, 9 really makes sense. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And weaknesses are certainly the weaknesses of our flesh and our ability, but it's also just the weaknesses of our life, our lack of opportunity, our lack of provision. Right? Again, not that God turns his eye to that. He provides, he promises to, but it is that. Uh, we in those moments we get to see God's provision of grace and His glory all the more. So, the number one reason why we can be content in all things is because we have reason to be content. Secondly, we have been equipped. I have been equipped to be content. Paul has had the blessed privilege of experiencing having abundance and having nothing. Again, remember what we read, how Paul described himself earlier in Philippians, right? He, he, was, he was a powerful and respected leader and had all the comfort and respect and prestige that came from that. He has in his, his life of ministry, he's had opportunities to continue in comfort, but also we see some compelling descriptions of his way of life when all that was stripped away. One of those is in 1 Corinthians 4, 11 through 13. It says, to the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul's experienced both. And in both, he has found that the only thing that sustains and satisfies is the work of Christ in his life. It's what James calls us to in, in chapter 1, 2 through 4 of his book. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, and that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So reminding us here, once again, that every trial is, is an opportunity for God's grace. Every trial is an opportunity for us to be further transformed into the image of Christ. As we surrender and are brought low and say, not my will, but yours be done. And we find God good once again. And we find his will trustworthy. We find his intentions pure every time. So we have reason to be content. We, can, we have been equipped to be content in this life. And then lastly, we can expect to be content. I can expect to be content. And this is because the work of Jesus in your life is eternal. Because he is eternal. Because he is he exists in eternity, his work is eternal. That means that the work in you is eternal. That means the hope and the peace that has been delivered to you is eternal, not momentary. It is eternal, not circumstantial. Second Corinthians four seventeen through eighteen says, "For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal." So we see the contentment is ours no matter what because Christ has made us his own and holds all things together. In Christ, we are free to give with joy and receive without shame. What a glorious truth. We can be content. So as we continue in our text, Paul picks back up his thought about their generosity and sacrificial love pulling from this reality that in Christ we are free to give with joy and receive without shame. He continues in Philippians uh, 4, 14 through uh, 18. He says, um, sorry, let me find my place. He says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And what we see here, this is what we want to take away from this, just to distill it down to this one thing. Our sacrificial generosity is just as much for the good of the giver as it is of the receiver. Our sacrificial generosity is just as much for the good of the giver as it is for the receiver. Why? Anytime we live in love like Jesus, it is good for our hearts, minds, and souls. Again, we are at peace when we are when we are evidencing, living out what we were created for in, in the beginning of all things and what we're restored to, reconciled to in Christ. Because remember, this others-focused, self-giving love finds its rooting, finds its origin in God himself, in the Trinity. Before anything was, God was as the Trinity. And the Trinity is God existing in three persons where there is a love for the other. Just in God's own existence, there is an others-focused love. And in creation, when God created first man, all was perfect. There was union with God between him and God. And yet, when God created first woman, he looked at her, the man looked at her and said, oh, at last, finally, what I've been looking for. And he wasn't saying that God was insufficient. He was saying that he was created to have an others-focused love of likeness, likeness upon likeness. And so when he was given that, that, that woman that was like him, 
he was able to exhibit the fullness of God's image in him by having an others-focused love. So you were created for this. And so when you give generously and sacrificially for the sake of others, you are, you are awakening and stirring up the very source of life in your heart, mind, and soul. And so I'm, I'm so grateful for this. And this is what Paul is calling them to, to remember. And this is what him, again, him purifying his intentions before them. And I just can't help but think of our current opportunity. We've talked about this a few times. Typically this time, this, this week, we will be taking um, a special offering going towards uh, ministry needs and opportunities that are not a part of our operating budget. Um, we're not doing that this year per se, but we've already invited you into this. And I want to continue to invite you to consider um, so that we can be prepared to, to support the financial needs coming in the future. Be prayerful and say, is this the time that you need to, that you have an opportunity to give joyfully and sacrificially, remembering that our our, that generous that generosity and sacrificial giving is not just for the good of the receiver but also the giver so I want to invite you to pray as we, as we continue you know by the time you you listen to this we will probably have voted on this year's budget that we're doing this week um, our, our our understanding in, a, in this reality is that our, our budget it's 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 an all things in common reality and it's an opportunity to really experience what is described in Acts 2. Um, and so I just want to invite you kind of in that heart of, of, of stepping in as God leads to others, focus love with joy, without compulsion of guilt. Um, consider what, what God is compelling you to give. And we want to invite you to do so in, in all the normal ways of giving. So these two points may feel um, unrelated, but that um, that is the point, really. Um, the fact that they're kind of unrelated. Um, Philippians 4, 19 and 20 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in, the, in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What we see here is that uh, Christ is the center of everything. Christ holds all things together. God promises to provide for us. He promises to provide for us, but he promises to provide for us according to his glory in Christ Jesus. God provides for us not what we think we need, not what we want, but what he knows we need. God knows what is best for you. He is your creator. He is eternal. He knows everything. He sees all things at all times. And he is good in all things. So he knows what's best for you. And so in his promise to supply everything you need according to his glory in Jesus Christ means, again, first and foremost, Christ satisfies our deepest needs and longings and Christ sustains. And when we have an eternal hope, that's, that gives us strength in all things. And I love what Tim Keller says. He says, God gives us what we would have asked for if we knew and understood all that he knew and understood. So can you trust the character and love of God? I say you can, but I invite you to pursue that question and find out for yourself. According to his glory in Christ Jesus, the work of Christ in our lives is the center of everything. Colossians 2, 15 through 20 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. 
And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. God promises to provide. And it's all held together in Christ. It is because of what God has done in Christ and promises to do according to his riches of his glory through him that we can be content in all circumstances, that we can live generous and self-giving lives, that we can grow in unity and encouragement all while progressing the gospel to a world that needs to know the grace and mercy of Jesus desperately. Would you join us? Would you join us in pursuing Jesus and being shaped as the church he created us to be? Being shaped as the Christ follower he created you to be and being brought together in unity for his glory and for the good of the world around us and for our good. Let's pray. So God, I just want to surrender all to you. Lord, I pray um, just as we continue to, to lean into this teaching in our house churches, God, I pray that you would just... Um, just enliven our discussion. Lord, use the body of Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit to bring transforming understanding. Lord, that doesn't just result in us nodding our heads or, or just aspiring to something, but it would result in your transforming work of us becoming more like you and us seeing, Lord, the fruit of the harvest of the gospel in the world around us, God. Give us a compassion that moves us just like Jesus did, God. Help us not to... Um, to, to be paralyzed uh, by our fears, but to be motivated by your love. So, Lord, we surrender all to you. We thank you for um, our salvation in Christ. Lord, we thank you for our invitation to live out your love to the world around us. Lord, all in Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Guys, we love you. We pray you are well. Um, and we are better together for the glory of God. Hope to see you soon. Bye.